0: Good afternoon and welcome to this special Chelsea Social uh, episode. I'm Rob Prattley at RJP Journalism and today I'm joined by the brilliant Jamie Wilkinson, a freelance journalist who covers uh, Chelsea Football Club an awful lot of the time. He himself is a Chelsea fan, as you can see by what's uh, just peeking out in the background there. And I think it's um, important today to have this discussion. It's a debate about an open debate about recruitment and about the club strategy and direction Uh, Often, I think we tend to find on social media that people fall into one of two camps. They're either incredibly afraid to criticise the club or they take it to the absolute nth degree and at times, you know, some pretty appalling stuff gets said. So I think this is worth trying to have a more measured discussion, a more open and frank debate on things. So, Jamie, welcome. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you for having me. Pleasure.
0: Yeah, no, not a a problem at all. Do you want to talk us through the, uh, the shirt in the background before we... Before we,
1: before we so that's signed by. Um, to be honest, here's me out of myself as a plastic fan. I can't remember the exact season, but it six seven, perhaps. But it's signed by one of the squads. It was a, a gift, and I haven't found somewhere to hang it yet. So it's uh, on the floor. <laughs> yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, absolutely wonderful. Pride. I assumed it was strategically, you know, put there as the conversation starter, but no.
1: No, I mean, I mean that would that would have been a good good strategy, but no, it just has been relegated to the floor since I've I've moved into this and been using this as my my place of work. It's uh, not been hung. It's being cooked by the radiator um, twenty four hours a day at the moment.
0: Just what you want, really. That's, that's the ideal conditions for you know a nice. That's
1: it. A, me- a medium rare Chelsea shirt. My favourite. <laughs> Is
0: that your, uh, your, your biggest piece of memorabilia or do you have anything, you know, that's going uh, sort to of stun the viewers
1: anymore? That's a good question. I think the answer would probably be no, other than a very snotty email from the football club, which I've been meaning to print and hang. Um, <laughs> but we won't, we won't go into that now. So, so
0: I have a feeling you know, that's one of those, yeah, that maybe, maybe considering we're trying to keep it measured at this moment in time.
1: We'll see which way the debate goes.
0: Yeah, it's probably not the best thing. I mean, obviously, sort of as you sort of mentioned, you have your background sort of in journalism. So I'm sure you're probably one of those people that are much more measured and understand it's very difficult to run a football club. Um, do you want to sort of, you know, just give your general overarching opinion on how the club is run? And obviously I appreciate trying snotty emails aside, trying to, you know, remain objective where possible.
1: Yeah, so Ch- Chelsea Football Club, of course, at this point in time and has been the case for the best part of a decade now, if not more, Marina is the, the the main woman, at least in terms of the public-facing interpretation of the running of the football club. Now, I think where Chelsea fans perhaps get this wrong, particularly across social media, perhaps we can't expect everyone to be an expert, is that Marina... Is very much a negotiator. Her background is in business. Ultimately, she only started attending Chelsea board meetings as a a proxy to Roman Abramovich. She wasn't brought in for her extensive football knowledge or even her... You know, expertise when it comes to running a football club. She does have on record um, some dealings with Chelsea prior to becoming an executive board member. Uh, At the top of my head, Didier Drogba's contract in the late 2010s. Uh, She was said to be influential in the signing of Fernando Torres, which was a complex January signing. Um, January signings are are, are, a difficult topic of discussion for Chelsea supporters at this point in time. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, 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 the way that I look at it is that Chelsea fans have this misinterpretation that Maria is the be-all and the end-all. She identifies the players, she reaches out to the football clubs and she secures the deal. Mm. She gets blamed for personnel that we have recruited and they have not fitted into the team or they haven't performed. Whereas really there is nobody less responsible for that side of things than Marina, at least in my opinion. You know, she may chair internal discussions in terms of recruitment and the personnel that we're looking to bring into the football club. But this is receiving input from the scouts, the scouting network, from Petr Cech more recently and from the manager. Mm -hmm. So... My, my main point to start with, and I think it's an important one, is the misconception that Marina is to blame for players which we have brought in who are underperforming because ultimately we should be thanking her that they're not more expensive mistakes than they already are because she's brokered relatively affordable deals for the most part.
0: Mm. And I think it's an interesting point you saw raise right there is that people say it's the beer and or Do you think that's because... It's been prominently, you know, Marina has been a very prominent figure at Chelsea Football Club for the biggest part of the decade, as you've said, and she is, you know, the the name that people think of when it comes to it, besides Roman Abramovich, you know, she is the right-hand woman. Do you think because there's that visibility, it makes her, you know, the easy target and the scapegoat in that regard?
1: Certainly, certainly. And I, I think it's it's also the fact that she has become all the more celebrated for her success in Chelsea's transfer dealings. In the interest of balance, if you're going to um, you know commend her on her good work, you should criticise her on her not so good work. Mm-hmm. But as I said, the important thing to remember is that she is dealing with agents and football clubs and brokering deals, which she thinks are value for money, based on the information she has been provided with by Petr Cech, the Scouting Network, and the Chelsea managerial coaching staff. So I understand why Chelsea fans, seeing as she is this not necessarily public-facing figure, she's very elusive, but she does seem to be the hot topic of conversation when it comes to Chelsea transfers. So you can understand why she'd be the first to be criticised um, when Chelsea, at least Chelsea fans believe we're failing in the transfer market, which for the record, I'm not entirely convinced we are right now.
0: Yeah, I, I, think that, I think that's an important point to sort of come on to in a broader sort of topic. But the only thing I would say that people have you know, said back to me, and I do think it's interesting for your opinion, on, is that Marina obviously is the de facto day-to-day running of the club, has the de facto sort of you know, ultimate power. If there are issues further down the chain, is it not ultimately her responsibility to resolve it?
1: Yes, I think there is an argument for that. Um, But at the same time, it depends on your expectations. Mm -hmm. Because Roman Abramovich tends to be not necessarily above criticism from Chelsea fans, but you don't see Chelsea fans on a day-to-day basis criticising Abramovich's strategy. Now, Marina, as she was at the beginning, and as she is now, is essentially Abramovich's seat in the boardroom. So if... if My belief is that if Chelsea were really convinced that there was a failure lower down the chain, it will have been rectified. But my belief is that Marina and Roman alike are actually pretty satisfied with the way that the club have have been been run, the way they've been conducting our business and how that's translated onto the football pitch in recent seasons. Now, of course, we haven't had the um, domestic dominance of Manchester City but we are still winning trophies while recording, by well, this past financial year, good, healthy financial results. And we're the European champions. So you can argue there's a failure lower down the chain. You can argue that Marina would be responsible for addressing that. But my counter argument would be, and rightly or wrongly, I don't think she would really consider there to be that failure.
0: Mm, yeah. And I, I think that's an interesting sort of point to reference is that we look at players, you know, like um, sort of Kai Harvitz, for example, I think 72 million, there was an awful lot of an outlay, but obviously scored, you know, the goal that won Chelsea the second Champions League. Christian Pulisic, a significant outlay, but obviously had that very good spell during Project Restart and scored key goals in the Champions League campaign. Um, Sort of, you know, other players of a similar nature. Kovacic, people, you know, questioned the outlay at the time, but has gone on to become an integral player, Jorginho, people have questioned the outlook at the time, but has now, you know, finished third place in the Ballon d'Or, rightly or wrongly. Um, I suppose what I think people from, and this is probably my perspective on it, is that Chelsea's record with big money signings has been at best checkered, I think is is fair to say, in, um, you know, the last 10 years. There have been some really good ones. I mean, 32 million for Eden Hazard at the time looked like big money, but, you know, ended up being something of a, I think, you know, we'd be fair to describe it as steel. 35 million for Diego Costa, again, came in and did well. Ces Fabri asked the 30 million, but they aren't really what I think nowadays people would describe as big ticket transfers. Uh, you know, I'd say nowadays you're looking at anything over sort of 50 million. And I think that's yep. where for me, the issue really lies is that are Chelsea getting, and I also I'll couch this by saying, I would never expect a player. There's no such thing as a 50 million pound player like you know yes. off um you know by attributes or purely by that players are dictated by the value of who is selling them, who wants to buy them um and i think that's something a lot of our fans do forget but there is no such thing as you know a core 50 million pound player a 75 million pound player 100 million pound player but at the same time i think with the way the market is going players like ed hazard nowadays if he was up you know let's imagine his season at leal you have another you know, Eden Hazard coming through. You have a similar one in Jonathan David, for instance. Jonathan David is being, you know, quoted at £70, £80 million. Pounds. And despite having, you know, being a very good player, but having much significantly less numbers and having a lower impact than Eden Hazard. So I think that's the way the market is going in general. Um, just in terms of your thoughts on sort of big money signings, do, do you think Chelsea, whenever they make a big money signing, they're sort of setting themselves up for failure?
1: It's difficult, isn't it? Because I... I... Certainly, the risk of failure is higher because the expectations for the signing are more considerable. So, you know, you consider in Kai Havertz's case. Now, Havertz, with the age that he is, is what he has achieved in a Chelsea shirt, really how a player should be performing and perhaps maybe just under the the goal scoring and assisting output you'd expect from a player of that age. But um, it's it's the expectations that are brought with the sum. But Kaya Havertz has won Chelsea a Champions League via a goal in the final, which is more than can be said for plenty of players which have cost, let's say, 70 million plus across the board in European football. It's... All hindsight, isn't it, really? Because if you look at Kai Havertz today, would you say that it has been a successful signing for Chelsea? Well, first of all, it's too early to judge because he's a young player and it's early in his contract. Yeah, The argument would be, yes, he has been successful because he's won Chelsea the Champions League. But let's be honest, he hasn't been performing on a weekly basis to the level we would have expected to him. Yet, from the board's perspective... They were taking advantage of a Covid struck transfer market at a time where Real Madrid, Bayern Munich, all the other top clubs in the world that you could reel off, didn't have the funds or were just too concerned about what would happen um, with the financial climate over that year to sign Kai Havertz. Hmm. And Chelsea took full advantage. We spent 70 million. Was it expensive? Probably not for a player who really was one of the most coveted. Um, young youngsters in European football. So I think it's all well and good saying in, in, in hindsight that when you make that outlay on a player, you're, you're kind of setting yourself up for failure. But yeah. on the flip side, if Kai Havertz was producing Eden Hazard level performances on a weekly basis, you'd be saying seventy million pound that that is a steal.
0: Mm. And th- the other point of that I think to make is that if you'd have gone elsewhere and done it elsewhere, people would have used it, you know, as a stick to beat, you know, to beat Marina and to beat the board with. Um, I I think on the topic of the board, it's worth noting that Marina is not the only member of the board. I think there's also Bruce Buck, Eugene Tenenbaum. Um, Off my head, I can't remember the other. I think there's other two other sitting members on the board. Um, But often I feel, you know, Marina used as de facto sort of, you know, uh, figurehead for the board. Um, do Do you think you can pretty much just sort of explain to people what, involvement the board do have because I think it's fair to say the board do have an element of involvement in transfers but not to the level that people you know suggest on social media that you know the board are picking players I'm afraid I'm sorry to say to be Roman Obram which is not scouring football manager to find the next wonder kid and to find not as far
1: as we're aware anyway no well exactly we don't don't quite
0: (laughs) no no but I I would hazard you know I'd be happy to sort of stick my neck out on the chopping block and say that I don't somehow think the board are I don't think Eugene Tenenbaum, for instance, is the man that recommended, or I know he isn't the man who recommended Thiago Silva to the club. Um, so it, it, can you, you can sort of just elaborate a little bit on that? Because I see an awful lot of that posted online and I think it's worth clarifying, you know, what is actually the truth.
1: Yeah, as a, as I referenced previously, so Marina is the chair of the internal discussions um, when it comes to the transfer strategy. Now, I think strategy is the the important point there because she she and the other board members are the strategizers. They can put in place, you know, the kind of direction that a club are looking to go in, whether their business plan, as it has been um, since Marina's rise to prevalence, to sign. Um, promising young players with a view to flipping them on for profit or integrating them into the first team. Now, that's a strategy. But when it comes to the individual players, that's the scouting network. That's Petr Checks input. That's the manager's opinion, not necessarily bringing players to the table. It might happen on the off case. But um, I, it, from my understanding, it couldn't be further from the truth that the, the board... Are sitting down and thinking, you know what we need a striker. Shall we bring in Romelu Lukaku? Because realistically, it will be—it's um, not the board's responsibility to scout the market and look for opportunities. It's the scouting network's opportunity to uh, uh, responsibility, rather, to identify players of the right profile, both in terms of footballing and off the pitch, full like profile of their personal life, etc. And that information is presented to Marina the chief negotiator, let's say, to broker the deals with the sign-off and approval from those who are employed for their knowledge on, on the transfer market and players, their attributes, how they can integrate into the Chelsea squad. Mm-hmm. So it's it's the same point that we made previously, essentially, that pointing the finger at Marina, pointing the finger at Bruce Buck or even going up all the way to say Roman Abramovich, that anything referencing individual transfers is just incredibly wide of the mark, yet seems to be um, common yeah, on Chelsea it, Twitter.
0: It seems to be the accepted, you know, I've, especially in periods of poor form. I mean, let, let's face it: the only time Chelsea ever seems to have any kind of stability is when there's chaos, is what I always say to people. Yeah, um, and you know, when there was you know relative success earlier in the season, people weren't you know moaning, but suddenly now everything has gone sort of, you know, pear-shaped in recent weeks. I think it is fair to say Chelsea are on a poor run of form at the time as when we speak. There have been poor recent results. It seems to be that the criticism always seems to revolve from my perspective, straight back to Marina and back to the board and, you know, are the board backing the manager? Are XYZ backing the manager? Um, And I think you raised a good point. So, do Do you want to talk a little bit about the scouting network and how scouting works at Chelsea from your understanding and your knowledge? Because I think that's one thing that people perhaps don't understand or perhaps you know bypass um and I think it's quite important to address it
1: yeah so uh, Scott McLaughlin is the head of international scouting at Chelsea now he will oversee um various scouts essentially on different deployments around the world um reporting back to him and he brings it higher so it's pretty straightforward in the sense that he will be um, collecting the profiles of players providing to him from his various scouts and presenting that to Marino, brings it to the board, or in their internal transfer discussions, that will be brought to the table and then they can all run their iron and provide their opinions. The scouting network is a kind of where I would see a weakness at Chelsea at this point in time. and it's, if, if, if I were on the Chelsea board, this is what I would be pointing out. Um, to Marina, to Bruce Buck, to Petr etc. It might be a quite simplistic view. And let's be honest, we don't have full personality profiles on the, each individual scout. But I have a slight concern over the CV of certain individuals on the scouting team. Mm-hmm. Um, not going to name names, but I kind of feel like, for starters, it's, Providing former players with good relationships with the club, with a job in the game. I think that's been one problem. And if you look back, there's examples of that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Secondly, it's looking at a, a scout CV and discovering that their previous employment was at League One and League Two clubs. Now, as I say, they may have performed wonders in League One and League Two, but they're dealing with much bigger fish at this at the top of the tree, let's say Chelsea, a yeah. European superpower. So, you know, we spoke earlier about how Marina and Abramovich, etc., probably don't see a problem lower down the chain. But in my opinion, that doesn't necessarily mean that one doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think yeah. just to use an example um, of where Chelsea scouting is lacking. And I know it's lazy to compare it to other clubs and their trans- transfer business, but let's consider Costas Simakas at Liverpool. Now, had anyone heard of Simakas prior to Liverpool signing him? No, but he was integrated into the squad, and this season, in Robertson's absence, he has stepped up and, you know, proven that he can perform at this level. in Liverpool are not considerably weaker in Robinson's absence because they have Simicas, Simicas as a backup. Yeah. Now, Chelsea in this window, in the market for a left-back or left-wing-back, let's say, and I don't really see that the club have any considerable profiles of full-backs that they could have made a move for this window beyond pure opportunism, such as Luca Dean... Tagliafico, who's been offered by his agent, Ivan Perisic, who's coming towards the end of his contract. And again, it might be lazy, and it might be that the club are considering these possibilities and are working on it behind the scenes. But another I would use is a Dharma trial, right? Links aren't necessarily concrete, but that would be another case of opportunism. Chelsea would be an opportunistic opportunistic in the market. I think what Chelsea fans would like to see is kind of, In comparison to the early 2010s when we scooped up Courtois and De Bruyne and Salah from Basel and these players, yeah, and Azpilicueta from Marseille, just players from low sums that you could kind of immediately see we were onto a gem. Not necessarily having the Chelsea fans on Twitter pining for a signing like Luca Dean, who is in his late 20s now and, you know, 25 million pound fee when we already have about 27 left backs on our books. (laughs) I I personally would like to see the scouting network in these internal discussions be like, you know what, Marina, this left back, he's he's not a big name. He's not going to sell shirts. You know what? He's available for a potential five to ten million pounds, and he could come in and be a direct improvement on, on Tuchel's squad. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. The, the scouting network, in my view, could do with a little bit of fine tuning. Perhaps we should be looking to poach the scouts' proven track record from our European heavyweight counterparts. But as I said, um, that's Marina's decision.
0: Sure, what would you? Would it be fair to say, and I think, you know, I think this is a valid point to make is that, um, especially on Twitter, I think Chelsea found a fickle and will yeah. complain about the lack of value signings. However, if in 2000, and I remember it in 2012 very well when it was announced that Chelsea were going after a right back from Marseille who wasn't a regular for Marseille, was a young lad who'd had very bad injury problems um and you know at the time also when first came to Chelsea couldn't you know establish himself in the side do you think fans would be willing to give the patience to players I mean we saw this season with Saul when he came first on loan admittedly Saul's initial performances were very poor but people wrote him off almost immediately and now in more weeks, when he's been giving better performances people have been like actually you know maybe he's not as bad do you think that there's an element of it of a and then sort of a follow-on question to this, that the club perhaps are afraid to go for, you know, these sort of signings because of the reaction they'll get. And also, do you think there's a problem with it? Because in the past, when they've chased, you know, more value signings, and some of them that come to mind include people like Papi Gilabolgi. Um, who you yeah, know yeah i mean yeah the, the eye roll <laughs> says everything but the um when they chase you know names like that who admittedly at the time had very good you know scouting reports around him there were a lot of clubs uh, you know allegedly tracking and interested in his profile looked good and in the end i think we saw one minute of him at warsaw um mm-hmm. do you think that is reluctance and puts the club off from doing it
1: on the first point there, I don't think the club um, have much consideration for the views and opinions of Chelsea Twitter accounts. And <laughs> I, want to, let, I, let, want to, I wanted you to say this because I don't think people understand this. Yeah, I think Chelsea fans on Twitter are notoriously vocal, notoriously negative. But anyone that's been to the bridge will understand that it's definitely not a direct translation from your social media feed into your seat. It's a completely, completely different. You, the, let's say the the the, um, the mood on Twitter has been more than toxic in wake of the the, the Brighton defeat. If you go to Stamford Bridge on Sunday for the Tottenham game, it will be absolutely fantastic. So I don't think the board will shy away from making signings purely based on perhaps the fans won't like it. It's 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 a, a difficult question. I I it kind of puzzles me a little bit because the foundation of Marina's success at Chelsea has been buying players for relatively affordable sums, kind of low risk, potentially high reward deals, and selling them on for a profit. So yeah, I, I'm. I don't think Thomas Tuchel would have any problem with a bit of a curveball with the player that was brought into a squad, if it was someone that he could work with and um, kind of just give somebody a rest. For example, Marcus Alonso has played far too much football recently and his his performances are showing it. But just an interesting note on the Gila L'Aboggi topic, and I think it kind of links back into our current situation with Tuchel, is that I remember being stood with Pat Nevin at Wembley before the Community Shield. Of, I can't remember if it was under it was under Maurizio Sarri. And he explained to me how when Chelsea signed Gilo Boggi, Mourinho had made it very clear in one of these previously referred to internal transfer discussions that he wanted Rafael Varane from Real Madrid. Mm-hmm. Mourinho's understanding was that Varane was available, he was gettable, but the club didn't pursue it and they went for Gilo Boggi. Now, I don't think those are the kind of... It's a mistake in Mourinho's view. It's a mistake in hindsight. I don't think that those scars fully heal. And I worry because Tuchel has made no secret that he um, is trying to be more laid back with this particular board than he has in the past of Borussia Dortmund and Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. But I just, I just wonder if he'll eventually come to the end of his tether if we're not delivering for him in the transfer market.
0: Sure. And uh, I think it's also worth noting because a lot of people um, say to me, the solution is to get a director of football in, And uh, as we know, when Thomas Tuchel was at Paris Saint-Germain, one of the main issues was that he clashed with the director of football, Leonardo. And yeah. admittedly, he doesn't seem to be alone in that. Whenever I seem to read about news about no. Paris Saint-Germain, it seems to be, you know, Leonardo has fallen out with someone. And, you know, Pochettino seems to be the latest name that seems yeah. to want to have a spar with him. But do do you think perhaps people are a bit naive in saying that, you know, the doff is the obvious solution and the immediate solution? Or do you think it's a case that people don't really understand what a director of football does? Or do you think it's just people looking for the quick fix?
1: Well, I think director of football is a very broad term because Chelsea have had directors. We had Michael Emanalo, who Chelsea fans decided to make their sworn enemy. (laughs) And um, let's be honest, he wasn't. Particularly, he didn't have many admirers on Twitter, even though he did do a lot of excellent work for the club. Yeah, I have have Petter Cech, who, though he isn't a, let's say, exactly a director of football, what you would usually consider their responsibilities. He is there to deliver the footballing kind of view and the footballing standpoint to the board. Mm. So I think it's an easy assumption to make that right so Chelsea are performing well on a financial side of things but actually that doesn't necessarily translate into success on the pitch maybe Marina is executing good deals off the field on paper they look good good in a spreadsheet but the players don't look so great on graphs I think there's definitely a, a you can understand why the fans would call for a director of football but I think the most important point is that fans are always looking for a silver bullet solution. Yeah. To things that aren't... They're not so straightforward. I think if you look at why Chelsea's recent acquisitions haven't performed to the level that we'd necessarily expect them to, it's not necessarily... It's, it's not because of a failure behind the scenes. It's not because of the absence of a director of football. Timo Werner was coming off of a highly prolific season at R.B. Leipzig. Yeah,
0: and let, let's also admit Werner was wanted by Liverpool, was wanted by Man. And it this, not and this is, it's the players who no one wanted.
1: No, Werner, highly coveted. Um, I think it's well documented that we snatched him ahead of Liverpool. Kai Havertz, even more so, um, one of the most coveted and one of the most desirable young assets on the market and Chelsea took advantage and made their move and signed him so I think it's very simplistic to for Chelsea fans to pine for certain players erupt in delight when we get these deals over the line and when we start losing a few games pointing the finger upstairs and saying well, why have you signed all this dross that we we absolutely begged for on our Twitter timelines, which I feel like is is kind of, and I I made this point about Luca Dean on Twitter a a couple of weeks ago, that he just reeks of the kind of deal that Chelsea fans would end up complaining about because yeah, we have an immediate need for a new left back. If you're not a Marcus Alonso fan, um, considering Ben Chilwell is out long-term, but do we have an immediate need for signing a player in his late twenties that will probably not start when Ben Chilwell's back in the team, is coming off the back of a relatively subpar period at Everton and has fallen out with his manager. I think Marina would have had one look at that deal and said, you know what, I'm not interested. And I think it would have proven to be a poor deal for Chelsea and the fans would have ended up criticising Marina for going ahead and doing it.
0: Yeah, no, I agree. And as I said to someone else with Luka there are other clubs around Europe that need a backup, you know, left-back or need a left-back. There are other top clubs that, you know, would like cover for a player I'm sure Bayern Munich don't want to continue playing um sort of you know Marcel Sabitzer who's been playing there recently if Luca Dean was that you know prize target and the way I always say this is look at Bayern because Bayern with the exception of people like Buna San, Mark Rocco in recent years who've been a bit of duds if Bayern sign a player they go out and sign a player because they know the player is going to come in and do really well at the club and the, you know, I can count on... There's not many players I can think of in recent years that haven't come into Bayern and, and at least done what they've been asked for. I'm not counting people like Sven Ulreich, for instance, who came in very much as a backup goalkeeper. He's a very good backup goalkeeper. Yeah. Sandro Wagner came in to be a backup to Lewandowski, did a job and then went to China, I think it was. Boona Sand, uh, Mark Rocker came in very much as bargain signings because the money wasn't there, um, which I think is interesting from... The German point of view, obviously, they were very, very affected by the pandemic, and it's interesting you raise that point when it comes to Kai Harbert's. But it, you know, I always look at Bayern as the barometer of that. If Bayern wants someone and buy someone, chances are they're buying them because they know they're going to come in. Like Alfonso Davies, they didn't bring Alfonso yeah. Davies in as a marketing tool, even though he's amazing for it. They brought him in because they knew he's a top player. Um yeah. for me, Luca Deans, yeah, Luca Deans smacks of the sort of deal that looks good on paper probably comes in, has one or two good games and then, you know, gets to a point so I also would be concerned with Luca Dean, the fact that he seems to have fallen out with managers at Roma, at Paris Saint-Germain, at Barcelona and now at Everton. You start to wonder, is it actually the club doing it or is it the players sort of, you know, doing it? So good luck to Stephen Gerrard on sort of, you know, managing that in the future. But I think it goes on to an interesting point you raise about... Um, sort of scouting and director of football. Can you sort of clarify where Petacek's role fits in all of this? Because I think people people like putting Petacek forward as this sort of, you know, person who should be in charge of it because of um, Edward Mendy. And I'm going to go out on record here and say, I think Edward Mendy is probably up there as Azpilicueta for pound for pound the best signing we've made in the last decade, up there with Edouard Hazard. Yeah. And that's on such a short period of time because of you see the transformational effect it has and the fact that, you know, without Edward Mendy, you almost certainly... You know, we don't get anywhere near winning the Champions League. We almost certainly don't get anywhere near sort of, you know, achieving our goals at this moment in time. And I think that's more of a case of good scouting rather than, you know, this being a sort of particularly sort of lucky situation because Mendy had a good season at Stad Ren as well. But do you think it's, you know, important to stress that Petachet isn't, you know, this de facto director of football and he isn't, you know, going to be demanding and going in saying we need to sign X, Y, and Z?
1: I think that's absolutely fair and as much as we love Petacek, would he really have the credentials to be doing that anyway? I think there'd be a question mark over that. I think it's pretty clear that Petacek's role under Lampard to begin with was to bridge the conversation between Marina and the management, oversee the bridging of the gap between the academy and the Chelsea First team and kind of act as the glue between the boardroom and the footballing side of Chelsea Football Club. Because as we've touched on before, Marina, at the end of the day, she's not a former footballer. She is a businesswoman and a very good one, a very good negotiator and um, a numbers woman, whereas Petr Cech is a footballing man. And that puts it in very simplistic terms. But uh, at the end of the day... Uh, at least my interpretation of it is that Czech is there to fill the voids where Marina perhaps falls short, which is on her footballing knowledge. It is with her direct communication on a day-to-day with the management. And um, I, I think that the the role that Czech has been given in the football club ought to be celebrated, and we probably shouldn't be demanding that he, as you said, goes in the boardroom and asks Marina to her face, why have we not signed Luca Dean or another left-back? Because mm. the Chelsea fans are calling for it on Twitter.
0: Yeah, exactly that. And I think, you know, I think it's worth noting in this talk about left-backs and stuff, people, I think, often have a, um, not a Rose interview, that's the wrong word, but sort of have a bit of an idealistic view that, you know, I've found XYZ player and they've done, you know, really well in their domestic league or why aren't we going... Someone said to me, for example, Mark Cucurea was available for 18 million from Brighton. I'm going to say, I think Cucurea was someone who was a bit of a steal for Brighton. At the time, you know, someone who Barcelona didn't want to sell... A long time ago, they ended up selling him because of their own financial sort of issues. And no doubt he will go on and either, you know, be a main step right for years to come or possibly move to another European side. But people like Kukurea, for instance, people looking at and saying, why aren't our scouts going out and looking for that? I think it is worth just emphasising that scouting is, is a tough job and it isn't something, you know, every time you're going to get 100% right. Because, you know, you talk about Costa Simicas at Liverpool, for every Costas Simicas there are... Other players, for example, that you know, Minamino, who I think has struggled at times, yeah, say Chamberlain, who probably hasn't, you know, kicked on as well as it has, and you know, even at other clubs, for example, at Manchester United, when you look at when they scouted from Bastian Schweinsteiger. I mean, if you just said on paper you're bring in Bastion Schweinsteiger into your midfield, you'd think, cool, what a top midfielder who came in, but in reality, you know, didn't really do anything. Or Donny van der Beek in more recent years, like Donny van der Beek to me is one of the really confusing ones because any scout that would have looked at him would have said he doesn't fit into how manchester united want to play but he is a very good footballer don't go and buy yeah. him and yet they went and bought him and now i think it's safe to say when donny does leave manchester united he's not going to suddenly you know walk into a team on the similar caliber he's going to need to work his way back up and i think that's what nice. people do do forget is that the players are affected by this like you know they don't want necessarily to come and sit on the bench and be you know Just sit on the bench and be waiting to sort of be called into the cavalry.
1: And I think it's a good point on Donny van der Baek because. It, it, in my mind that links back to the, the transfer window we had post-transfer ban where and I, I'll include Pulisic in this where I, I would say every player that we signed whether it be Havertz, Werner, Ziech, Pulisic at a kind of profile of players that you would expect Chelsea to be targeting and you wouldn't necessarily say at the time that any of them arrived that there were any red flags over their ability to perform and whether they were necessarily good additions to the squad both in terms of now and long term so if you look at the profile of the players at the time that they were signed you say right they were performing well with their respective clubs some of them were were showing absolutely immense promise and um it's it's, in hindsight you can look at the deals and say okay we spent let's say 60 million on christian pulisic whereas really if we had the, the pulisic from the period after project restart and the Pulisic, which was threatening to break out at Borussia Dortmund and has shown us what you can do so many times for the USA, you'd be looking at that deal and you'd be saying, you know what, that was a good bit of business from Chelsea. So we can't, in hindsight, say these are good, these are necessarily bad deals when at the time of the signing, there wasn't really any breakdown or failure, whether it be in the scouting department. I don't think we necessarily paid over the odds It's just football that it doesn't necessarily translate into good performances on the pitch.
0: Mm. Yeah, no, no, exactly that. And I think it's worth, you know, it's worth putting on record that players won't want to be playing poorly. That, you know, I've seen people coming out and saying this and saying, like, you know, players are deliberately, you know, playing sort of, you know, badly or not playing their best because they don't care or whatever. I... I find it very hard to go out and say that about a player. I think, you know, you could maybe make that argument towards the end of some of the previous ranks at Chelsea, um, where you saw, you know, players clearly did sort of, you know, down tools. But I think it's very hard to make that argument unless you've got real, you know, justifiable evidence. Yeah. And I think it's, you know, incredibly unfair on players that are ultimately professionals. Like, you know, you wouldn't you wouldn't want someone coming in and saying, you know, you're not doing your job properly, you don't care about your job. Um so I don't understand why we feel we can do it to, you know, two footballers. And maybe that's, you know, my naive sort of point of view. I, I've always been quite measured and quite moderate anyway.
1: Well, I, f- I think it's uh, it's very topical, isn't it? With um, the post-interview Romelu Lukaku, mm-hmm. um, the, I, I think that the consensus is, at least, um, whether it be right or wrong, is that he isn't necessarily trying as hard as he could. But I don't know if that's because we have... We've spent a lot of money on a misfit and he isn't playing his best football. And that's kind of lowered his motivation levels. I don't think Romelu Lukaku wants to be playing bad for Chelsea because he's hurting his own stock. I think you're right. I don't think there's any players that are going to, you know, intentionally capitulate in their careers and implode purely to spite us. I I think it's just a matter of sometimes the, the piece doesn't fit in the jigsaw. Mm.
0: and I, I've said this to someone else I I you know, go back to and again I, I do believe that nowadays he's perhaps a very different manager than he was back then but Jose Mourinho was pretty stark and certain the first time Lukaku was sold that it was the right decision for and I remember at the times he said about you know attitude and mentality and I know you know people have their own opinion on Jose Mourinho both spells of him at Chelsea um, and they are completely you know valid to have that but I do think it's very interesting and it did you know the quotes did come to light again that he sort of said he's you know very one-track mind he's not a team player he's not someone who's gonna you know be digging in when the chips are down and I think at the moment it's fair to say we're probably seeing that um from a and not being from a purely critical, from a critical point of view just being from an objective point of view um so do, do you think that you know Chelsea in trances like this, it's going to put them off spending big money again because obviously, you know, they're not, I think it's fair to say at the moment, it's hard to see Lukaku having a longer term future at the club after this summer, um, regardless of what happens with Thomas Tuchel because I think that, you know, the way he spoke about the club and the sort of blatant behaviour he showed is not something I think the club are going to want to tolerate and indeed, I'm kind of surprised it was tolerated in this window, I'll be honest. Um, But, Do you you think that it will put the club off spending big money on another player on the chance it could happen again? Or will it just be put down in the books as a significantly bad debt?
1: Uh, I I don't think that we can use, let's say, Lukaku as the model for transfers going forward, because... It's such a unique case. I think the complexity of his situation at Inter Milan where, you know, the owners had pretty grave financial issues. And he said pretty um, frankly that were he offered a new contract and were he to receive X amount um, on that contract, he would have stayed at Inter Milan. So uh, I don't want to go too far off topic here and make it solely about Lukaku. But I think if we're looking at this deal in particular, from Chelsea's perspective, what we were doing was paying about the right price for a player in that absolute elite bracket of centre forwards. And if it's all gone wrong because Lukaku didn't actually want to be here, didn't want to leave Inter Milan and has arrived and feels like, you know what, Thomas Tuchel's football doesn't necessarily suit me. I don't think the club can afford to allow that, to put them off expensive signings in the future because um, we'll end up being left behind. I do wonder, and it's no disrespect um, to the Bundesliga, whether Chelsea will think twice about spending money on players that have just performed in that league going forward, Mm. purely on the basis... Of, um, it's not even necessarily the Kai Havertz one because he he had a particularly good period of form just before we signed him. It's possible yeah. it was just a purple patch. I would say Timo Werner, I just wonder if it's the style of play, but um, yeah, I don't claim to be any sort of Bundesliga expert, but just to use him as an example, I think they'd be more inclined to think twice about signing attackers. From German football, who are unproven elsewhere, than they would be from f- signing, let's say, a player like Lukaku, who has proven that he is one of the best strikers in the world um, across various leagues and on the international stage. Um, I think they probably thought that Lukaku was an, a banker, and yeah. um, other factors have just kind of worked against in them that, in that. Yeah,
0: regard. no, I think I think that's a valid point. I think it's also worth you know being honest and reflecting that. If Lukaku had gone elsewhere in that summer um, and had gone to another club and hadn't joined Chelsea and had done well, then the Chelsea fans would be absolutely crucifying the club for, yeah, it. and w- would be, you know, and I'm, I'm happy to, you know, say, I'm sure people will come out after this has gone out and say, that's not true. But quite frankly, I've seen it happen, you know, so many times now. I, I have such a cynical sort of viewpoint on it. And again, in this, this is why I'm labelled a bit of a board sympathiser in that. I'm not, but the club are damned if they do and damned if they don't. The example I always use is the club could have signed Lionel Messi and people would complain it's not Cristiano Ronaldo because some people yeah. just want to complain about things.
1: Um, they do. And, and it's sorry to interrupt. It's just remaining on the kind of topic of Lukaku and what people like to say on social media. I think another good example is the departure of Tammy Abraham, which tends to be pinned on Marina. That granted, she got this this huge chunk of chunk sum for. Um, Tammy Abraham, which helped pay the transfer fee for Lukaku. And now in reflection, Chelsea fans are saying, well, Abraham's performing well at Roma and Lukaku, we spent, what, £97.5 billion pound on. Is this really great business from Mourinho. I think it's also important to factor in that it's not as if Tuchel was Abraham's biggest fan.
0: Yeah,
1: exactly. Probably partly the reason why Abraham pushed to leave the club, if he did so, if the opportunity to move to Roma and work under Mourinho emerged. Why wouldn't he take it over staying at Tuchel, granted his boyhood club, but not necessarily playing? I think well, it's important uh, to remember that Marina is not just the one selling these players. She's selling the players because in most cases, they're not required by the manager.
0: Yeah, no, exactly that. And I think it's, you know, it's relevant to cut the points there. For his, Firstly, Tammy Abraham's boyhood club by his own in middle is Arsenal. Um, you know, he, he come through our academy but it is yeah, worth noting that. So, you know, there's not that connection there. Where it's, say a Reese James or... You know, yeah. I'm not really going to include Mason Mount's club is Portsmouth. And I, I tell people this and, you know, they find it hard to accept it. This is not like Trev Chalaber or Reese James, where they are, you know, bona fide Chelsea fans. And I would yeah. not be surprised in the same way. I wouldn't be surprised to see Trent Alexander-Arnold play his entire career at Liverpool. I wouldn't be surprised to see Reese James spend his entire career at Chelsea because likelihood is that one day we'll captain the club and... You know that's probably been his dream, and that is completely fine. At the same time, you have Mason Matt in the future, does decide he wants to go elsewhere, that is fine too. And I think far too often on Twitter, people have this you know, and I had a conversation about Armando Breyer, and I think that's probably talent retention is probably a good thing to come on to now. Is that mm-hmm. people seem to have this notion and this belief that the club can hold players against their will, um, and you know, just. Firstly, just please confirm that that's absolute nonsense, because I, I can't imagine any situation, the exception of maybe Manchester United where they've done it with Paul Pogba, and that you know has not benefited them in any way, shape, or form. Where a club has held a player for such a long period of time, you know maybe Louis Suarez, Louis Suarez really tried to go to Arsenal, but then again we all know you know he didn't really want to go to Arsenal. He wanted a big ticket transfer. Arsenal was not that. Um, you know besides Paul Pogba, which is the only one I can really think of killing Mbappe, maybe you can make that argument for. But the club don't keep players and won't force youth players to stay at the club. They won't say, you know, you're contracted to Chelsea. Because I've said this to someone, Armando Breuer might have a five-year deal with the club, but that doesn't mean he's going to stay for all five years.
1: No, no. The club wouldn't hold a player to, to ransom. They wouldn't hold a player against their will. It wouldn't make any sense. Um, let's use De Bruyere example. Um, if he does come the end of the season decide that he wants to leave Chelsea in search of regular first team football and doesn't think he's going to get it at Chelsea Mm -hmm. what are the club's options there the clubs can say right you are going to stay here and you are going to play in the reserves and we are going to make sure that you know until you commit yourself to this football club you will not be going any further in your professional career that's the absolute most severe example you could use let's say but what does Chelsea stand to benefit out of that now if Breuer, come the end of his loan at Southampton, decides that he does want to leave Chelsea, Chelsea will look at it and be like, you know what? His stock has never been higher. The mm-hmm. opportunity to sell him is now. And Pogba is a good example because you know, I, I'm not cc'd into Manchester United transfer emails, but I'd be very surprised if Man United didn't receive some sort of inquiry for Pogba during the time that he's been at the club.
0: Oh, they they've they've reject they've Absolutely. I can say they've told they've stopped him moving twice I know that for a fact
1: so i mean and and you're not surprised considering who his agent is now man united are now in a position where they're losing a no matter what you think about pogba a world class asset a player that you would consider were he did he have like 4 or 3 3 or 4 years left on his contract he'd be moving for probably in the 80 to 100 million pound bracket in the modern transfer market. Now he's set to leave on a free. Now what have Man United benefited out of that?
0: Mm. Exactly that. And this is what I've said to someone else is that, you know, people will talk about it and say that, you know, you keep them there and then you, you show them a pathway. Well, the thing is, is that if they come back and say they want to go, it's going to take an awful, awful, awful lot to change their mind. And it's players don't make these decisions and don't hand in transfer requests And don't go on a whim. It's not the sort of thing you make a light decision on because, and this is the thing I think people forget, is it's not only a footballing decision, it's a lifestyle decision. It's, you know, mm-hmm. a decision that affects you, it affects your family, it affects your partner if you've got them, it affects your children. It's players don't just, you know, stick up and think, oh, you know, I want to move on. And Breuer, and I, I said this to other people, this seems to be a hard notion for to get, is that, Breuer has now had a year of playing. Well, by the end of it, we'll had a year of playing regular first team football in the Premier League, playing very, very well, um, being rated as one of the best under twenty one talents in the country. He's going to come back to Chelsea, and at the moment, there is a one hundred million pound striker. There is a seventy two million pound player who's been playing false nine. There is a forty million pound wide striker. There are, you know, a fifty million pound winger who also plays up front. There is no obvious pathway, and. This is, I think, that's been endemic of Chelsea over the last decade, is the pathway hasn't been there. And increasingly, you know, in the past, there have been names that have left the club and people haven't, you know, batted as much of an eye. I think Nathan Ake is one that comes to mind. At the time, I said Nathan Ake and said, this will be the first, but it won't be the last. But you slowly and more and more are now seeing the names leaving. Declan Rice, obviously, was a bit different left in the academy, but Tino Livramento, Tariq Lanti, Jamal Musiala, who've all gone elsewhere and have become, you know, top players for their clubs. And okay, Chelsea have a buyback clause on Tino livramento It relies on the player wanting to come back. It relies on them. You know, the club could trigger the buyback clause and the player doesn't want to go, doesn't want to come back. I know that's a similar situation to when Nathan Ake. Chelsea did imply that they might trigger it, and Ake said, "I don't want to return." And if you leave a club, it's hard for a player to want. It's hard, I think, for a player to want to come back unless they've got a particular. You know affiliation with it, it's a bit different if you're going out on loan like Conor Gallagher, where Gallagher has made it clear he wants to come back and play for Chelsea and you know his aim is to play for Chelsea, but in Breuer's case and Breuer said he doesn't want to play for Chelsea he will be looking at it, and I'm sure his parents are looking at it and saying, you might want to do that, but where are the opportunities going to come in and you don't want to as a 21 year old who's had regular first team football, suddenly be sat on the bench and being used for you know 15 minutes, playing a Carabao Cup game the odd 20 minutes here and there because it stunts your development.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, I, I think Chelsea fans can argue that there isn't a necessarily such a big problem with, as, as you put it, the pathway in recent seasons, because let's say Mason Mount and Rhys James have come into the fold. But, you know, let, let's be clear here. Mount had an entire season to prove himself at Derby County with Lampard, which yes, is yeah. a unique case. Rhys Timur- James... Well, exactly, Tamori Timur- as well. Reese James wasn't necessarily starting week in and week out for Chelsea during Lampard's first season in charge. He's been pretty fortunate that, first of all, credit to him for choosing to stick around and compete for his place rather than going out on loan, going down the, 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 let's say, Livramento route and being like, well, if you can't promise me first team football on a weekly basis, now I'll leave. He stuck around and he, he worked hard and credit to him. But at the same time, what was his competition? Let's say it's Azpilicueta who I think Azpilicueta would have been, he was very actually quite vocal about it in the sense that he knows that there was um, a plan in place for James to come in and succeed him. There's an obvious succession plan on the right side of defence. If James comes in and he's a success, Azpilicueta's at that age and towards the end of his contract, that naturally James will come into the team. Now, that's not necessarily a case across the board. And Broy is a perfect example, as you said, because we have... A lot of attacking talent up there, and no matter whether you you think that Broyer deserves to start ahead of certain players in attack, which you could argue that he does, they're not all going to be magically gone come the start of the summer transfer window when he'll be making his decision. And let's be honest, they're still going to be selected ahead of him come the start of next season, mm. based on reputation potentially. But I, I,
0: yeah, that's what that's what I've said. I you know I. People have said, you know, he's got a five-year contract. The club just needs to tell him to stay. With respect, that doesn't really benefit anyone. That doesn't benefit the club. It demoralises the player. And, you know, then that's the sort of thing that then does cause issues in the dressing room. On, on yes. the Quetta point, I just think it's also worth, as we sort of start trying to wrap this up, is that people, people have a transient view of things. Of that, I'm sure if Chelsea gave Quetta a new contract today and gave him the two years plus one ext- new extension he wants, People would be happy today because they'd be glad it's the club captain tied down. Come the summer, when I doubt I doubt Chelsea will sell. So I, know, I can't see it being a case like, it's not going to be a case like Giroud, where Chelsea extend it purely to annoy yeah. AC Milan, because um, yeah. that's pretty much what happened there. Pretty much a case they got annoyed at AC Milan, talking to Giroud while the season was ongoing, and so played the game a little bit. I can't see Chelsea doing that with Azpilicueta because of his lo- length of time at the club, his loyalty shown to the club, and they shouldn't do it. I- I've said this all along. Azpilicueta is, in my opinion, is free. A bit like Pedacek, a bit like Ivanovic, to choose when he goes, how he goes, right, you yeah. know, walks out through the door as a club legend. But if he gets his three-year or two-year plus one-year extension, I think that'll bring him to 35. By that point, Azpilicueta, his legs are already starting to go. In the most honest possible way, he's never been a wing back. At the moment, the system needs him to play as a wide centre back. As long as he's at the club, I think Tuchel is trying to incorporate him into the team for the leadership aspect of it, and because he's the club captain. And I think at the moment the only spot for that is right wing back because you can't really drop one of the centre backs, none of them can play at right wing back. And you lose out on so much dynamism we've been playing there. And that's my problem is I think people, you know, short-term contracts are fine and are all well and good. And if it was, you know, one year extension, I think people might be. A bit more, you know, happy, but they will complain the succession plan isn't there. When say, you know, I don't think you will, but say Lewis Hall in the summer, Lewis Hall will look at that and say, well, I'm not going to get a chance here. Whereas Leeds United or Southampton or Brighton are all going to offer me first team football, and they're at a lower, it's a lower level, it's lower pressure, admittedly, but it is still the Premier League. And even you know, going further down the the table, you've got top Championship clubs that. I saw Blackburn sign Dylan there yesterday from Tottenham. I guarantee you Tottenham will regret that in a couple of years' time. Yeah, Because there's no way you couldn't do a better job than some of the players currently playing. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, it's a whole different conversation from just recruitment and acquisition to leaving players lumbered on our books for too long because that doesn't doesn't help anyone, does it? I, I think Chelsea have been guilty, as much as they have been, of making particularly bad um, acquisitions, at least value for money wise in the transfer market. I think not giving up on them soon enough, throwing in the towel and cutting their losses is is, is a whole different matter entirely.
0: Yeah.
1: I think this is where this is yeah, this, this is where fan frustration um kind of comes into it because you're not looking at players like Let's use an example. If Conor Gallagher comes back next season and he's being kept out of the starting eleven by Ngolo Kanté and Mateo Kovacic performing fantastically well, and we go on to win the Premier League, come the end of the season, Gallag- Gallag- yeah. yeah, Gallagher decides he wants to leave. It- it's different to. Um, Breuer not coming back because he sees Werner Havertz and Lukaku in his path, none of which are likely to get over fifteen Premier League, Premier League goals. A couple of them not even close this season. So it's yeah, it's a whole different conversation talking about um, the players that shouldn't be blocking the pathway um, for these young players Um because in, in some cases you, they they earn their right in the starting eleven, in others not so much.
0: Mm. And uh, I think it's worth also. Noting that you say there about players, you know, blocking it, they're there. they are also the sort of names that you have blocking it. That are people that aren't going to necessarily appreciate being put on the bench for a twenty-year-old from the academy. Exactly. And that's the other thing I think that Chelsea also have to tread carefully around.
1: Yeah, I, I, it's kind of a topical point, but I wonder what hacking Ziyech's celebration was all about last night. The, the, the Brighton game. I, I, I'm not sure if it was kind of discontent, his lack of playing time. It would be bizarre on the back of two starts. But I just wonder, in cases like that, he strikes me as the kind of profile, as you said, that if he wasn't being included, he might kick up a little bit of a fuss or bring the tone down in a dressing room behind the scenes. And, you know, these high-profile players, as much what as you don't... worth saying,
0: I think, you know, that Ziyech has gone from being... A guaranteed starter, and you know, the star player in not just a team but in a league to being at Chelsea and not really performing as well as you know, some fans would have hoped, or indeed, you know, as much as I probably think he probably on a personal level wants to be performing because I've said before, I don't think players intentionally play badly. Yeah, but
1: no, without wanting to be too critical of Ziyech in particular, just to use him as an example. Um, the, the whole debacle with the Morocco national team doesn't necessarily reflect too well on his character either even if you could say that it was um, a slightly severe punishment by the Morocco manager but um, yeah I, I, I think he's another another case where you could say that um you kind of want these younger players taking these spots and starting the odd Premier League games like Ziyech does. You'd much rather have a player from the academy with a higher ceiling who wants to be at the club, who has a lot to prove and just has the potential to to directly improve us in attack. I think us Chelsea fans want to see are young players playing these kind of roles? I don't think you can necessarily demand that they they come into the club and walk into the start in 11 And the, the, same, the same way, I, I think it's been proven that they're not going to necessarily be happy to play a bit part role and stay on the bench all the time. But I think if you use the example of someone like Ziyech, who I'm sure will probably be at Chelsea for another three or four years, such as the nature of the dealings of this club, um, I, I think that's the kind of profile of player that you'd want. You want those minutes given to an academy player, mm-hmm. in my opinion, anyway.
0: No, I would agree. Um, just finally, I think you alluded to it. The window obviously closes, I think, in um, less than two weeks now. I'm oh sure you're, yeah, as a it's journalist, is counting down feverishly to deadline day <laughs> and all of it being over. But do you think anything is going to happen in the remainder of the window from a Chelsea point of view based on, firstly based on your personal opinion and then also based on what you know?
1: So my personal opinion would be yes, through necessity. I think Tuchel has has, made no secret of the fact that the Chelsea players are tiring mentally and physically. He kind of put the performance against Brighton, used that as the the kind of explanation for it. And uh, he's spoken publicly about the need for a, a cover on the left. He's spoken publicly about wanting Emerson back at the club. It's no, it's the worst kept secret in the, the transfer market at the moment that Chelsea have been trying to pay a few million to get back um, one of their own left backs. Now, what I can say is that Chelsea are being offered left backs or left left right and center yeah. so it's it's fairly well, it's well known in the market that Chelsea are in the market for a left back and they are receiving approaches from from a various agents on a daily basis so january market's all about opportunism uh, I, I wouldn't i wouldn't expect marina to jump at a deal that isn't right for chelsea but i do wonder if there was a particular agent who she left on red a couple of weeks ago when it gets to the 25th or 26th of this month, whether she would be like, you know what, he's still available. We really still do need cover on that left. Let's go for it. I think what Chelsea fans shouldn't expect is a better deal than those who have already have been discussed um, because it's it's a small pool of players we're talking about in one specific position, having the characteristics to play left wing back while also being realistically obtainable. I think, you know, you can go through the names that have been suggested over the past few weeks and uh, I think you could probably expect Chelsea to get one of those, if um, if anyone.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah no, I'd have to sort of broadly agree that's in line with similar to what I've, you know, been told. Um, and yeah, I have to sort of say, I think people have to remember that Chelsea ultimately are, you know, they are aware that Ben Chilwell, although it seems like a long time ago, will be returning from injury. They also have Ian Maxon out on loan, who's doing very well out on loan, and they will, going back to the pathways point, want to show the pathway. But yeah, thank you very, very much for your time. Is there any sort of final put you want to tell everyone where they can come and find you? So... Get bombarded with uh, various transfers. Yeah,
1: you, you can you can follow me on Twitter if you want the usual Chelsea Twitter nonsense. Essentially, um, <laughs> we're much of a muchness, aren't we? Just, <laughs>
0: that's, uh, um,
1: uh, it's a catastrophe on a daily basis, and everything's an outrage. That's um, that's Chelsea Twitter for you. And yeah, at Jamie Wilkinson.
0: Well, that's, yeah, and uh, everyone who's tuned in, thank you very much for tuning in. Hopefully, there will be some more movement this window. And again, join us on in deadline day. Join us on deadline day for our full deadline day coverage. So, yeah, thank you very much.